This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org and join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word today. We welcome all those who are watching by way of television today and uh, through our video venue. This is actually uh, the last video venue we'll be having at our spot back there. And uh, they'll be joining with us through the holidays and combining our services in the second service. And so it's good to have them watching again today and all those who are watching by way of television. Mark chapter 10. Now, we've been in the, the book of Mark. We have been on a journey with Christ. Ever since Mark begins, he is on a, Mark just kind of is a very fast-paced journey that takes us very rapidly through the life of Christ, and he is on a mission. You get that from the very outset of the book of Mark. It, it launches with John the Baptist, the forerunner of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He starts it on this incredible journey, but everything is going to climax in the cross, in his passion. And, and, and so Mark is leading up to that. We're, we're to the 10th chapter now. We're getting close now to his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's going to be in his last few weeks of ministry right here. And, uh, and he keeps teaching us powerful lessons along the way. Now, the lesson for faith assembly of God is that if we are going to be like Christ, we've got to learn to serve like Christ. And unless we serve like Jesus Christ served, we totally have missed his mission and what Christ has called us to do. It's all about serving one another in the body of Christ. And so the theme of the whole series has been serving like Christ. But I think this is kind of the, the climax right here in this chapter. The key verse is found in the text I'm about to read to you. That's verse 45. And uh, we're going to talk about what it means to be a servant like Christ Jesus. Let's start with verse 32 so you can get the context this morning. And now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them. They were amazed. As they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the 12 aside again and began to tell them things that would happen to him. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him Scourge him, spit on him, and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they said to him, We can. And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it's for those to whom it is prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John can imagine now what's going on among the rest of the disciples. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. Everybody say that word, servant. Whoever desires to be first among you must be slave of all. Say slave. 
Here's the key verse of the entire book of Mark. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we look at this very powerful passage today that really deals with all of our Christian walk, I I just pray, God, you will open up this scripture in a in a fresh, new, and revelation this morning, that it'll be sink deep into our hearts, that, God, it will not just be a, another message we hear, but it'll be a word from the Lord that will change our behavior. Help us, we pray, mighty God. We ask in your name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Jesus is lonely. As you read the outset of the passage, and they're heading on their journey, Jesus is out in front of the rest of the disciples. You read the context. They're very careful. They're behind him. And so you got Jesus literally walking this journey, walking this walk all by himself. And it says the disciples are behind him, and, and they are both amazed and they are afraid. A couple of different emotions. They probably see Jesus somewhat downcast, uh, somewhat resolute as he's heading this journey towards his death. He talks about his upcoming death. Uh, he talks about being killed uh, and mocked uh, and scourged uh, and the punishment he is going to go through. Uh, and so they're amazed. They're also afraid. What are we going to do now? Now that Jesus is going to be gone and taken away, what's going to happen to us? And, and, and the, the ironic thing is Jesus Christ is walking and he's thinking about all that he's going to have to suffer. And the disciples are in the background and they are self-seeking. Christ is into self-sacrifice and the rest of the disciples are into Self-seeking, self-promotion. And James and John, they, 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 they step to the forefront and they want to get those key positions in this brand new kingdom that they believe Jesus Christ is about to set up. And, and now all the other disciples, they get mad at James and John. I mean, they're just, uh, that, that's unbelievable. They'd sneak up in front of them and, and they're probably not so mad with the request of James and John. They're probably more upset because James and John beat them to the punch. And, and they say, Lord, let me, when you get to your throne, when you sit in your throne in glory, uh, I want to be on your right hand and I want to be on your left hand. Now, it just basically says the two brothers said, which hand can we be on? But, but later they made a fight about of the, among the two who would get the right hand because that was the highest place of honor. Lord, grant us that we sit one on your right and one on your left hand. Now, the question for us. I think there's a great desire to want to be close to Christ. I think there would be a great desire in all of our hearts to be very near to him on his right, on his left, right by his side, to be as close as we can, to, to, to be there with him in glory. I think that's the goal and ambition of every single one of us here. We want to be near where Christ is. We want to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about that. But the question for us is, how do we get there? How do we... Get to the throne. How do we get to the point where we are ruling and reigning with Christ Jesus, with kingdom power and kingdom dominion? How do we arrive at that in our own lives? How do we get there? We've got a couple things that Jesus Christ is very clear about in his word. First of all, it is simply this. Sacrifice is the path to glory. 
You want to reign with Christ, and you've also got to be willing to suffer with Christ. Sacrifice. Now, Matthew, Mark doesn't have it here, but Matthew adds a third person to the equation. He says James and John's mother was also with them. Take mama to get the request done, to do the dirty work, and maybe mother was behind pushing James and John along the way to get this done, but she is also a part in making the request. And, and they tried to get to Jesus to commit first. They said, Lord, just do whatever you want us to do. I, we're going to ask you a question. We're not going to tell you what it is yet. The audacity, God, we want you to do whatever you want us to do. It's like going up to somebody and saying, before you say anything, hey, buddy, can you do me a favor? Hey, man, can you do me a favor? I really did a favor. And you don't know what to say because you don't know what the favor is going to be. They may say, give me $1,000. They may say, do something really stupid or dumb. And, and, and when somebody usually starts out with asking for the favor first, they're a little embarrassed about the favor they're asking for. And that's kind of the way it is with James and John. Uh, inside, there's probably a little guilt because they really know they shouldn't be asking these kind of questions. So they start out by saying, God, do us a favor. And what they're going for is the number one in two spots in God's brand new kingdom. The right hand and the left hand. Those are the two most important positions. One wants to be the, 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 sec, the secretary of state and the other wants to be the secretary of defense. And they're right there. They're going to be in Christ's brand new cabinet in his rule, in his reign, in glory. And so they want the right and they want the left hand. Now, Jesus Christ had talked about his coming glory. Look at verse 34. And the third day, he shall rise again. And we all go, yes, he's going to rise again. Yes, he's going to rule. Yes, he's going to reign. And we get real excited about that part. But they were slow to hear about the cross. And about the sacrifice. And about what they're going to have to go through before Jesus Christ can even get there. Now, isn't that kind of the way we are? We want to hear all about the kingdom joy and the kingdom peace and the kingdom love and and all this uh, kingdom dominion and and overthrow and and ruling and reigning with Christ and, and, and everlasting life and all those kind of things. They tweak our ears and we say, yeah, I'm right there with you. But when he talks about sacrifice and self-denial, and servanthood, and slavery, and discipline, we shrink back, right? Come on, guys, we're just like James and John. Quit pointing fingers at them and saying, boy, you're, you're, that's, how can you say that thing? We are just like them. We want to avoid the suffering, the, the pain, the servanthood, the humility, all that it takes to get to the throne. We want to jump straight to the throne and forget the cross. We're just like James and John. Now, it's interesting. Jesus did have kind of an inner circle, his closest friends. They were Peter, James, and John. What James and John are doing on this occasion is they are trying to cut out Peter. After all, he's the blabbermouth. He's talked the most. And so they, they beat Peter to the punch. And there they are, and and so you have them trying to cut Peter out of the mix. And and in their request, it's really not all bad when you think about it. Because don't we all want to be close to Jesus? 
I mean, there's a mixture of good and evil in their request because there is that desire to be close to Jesus Christ. And and it says in the book of Psalms, listen to it, it says, And in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what the psalmist said. That's what it means to be close to God. And so at Christ's right hand, the Bible says there are pleasures forevermore. And so there's joy in being close to the Lord. We want to be close to Christ. Every one of us have that somewhere as an ambition if we are Christians and servants of the Lord. But their request really has more evil than good in it. Because you, as you read Jesus' response, he sees right through their request. Because at the bottom of James and John's request is a lust for greatness. It's uh, to protect a place of power or to have a place of position. It is that hungering and thirsting after some kind of greatness in this brand new kingdom. You see, in our society today, greatness is defined by the standard of rank and protocol. And so if you have rank, you have greatness. And if there's protocol that surrounds your rank, you have even greater greatness. In a monarchy, no one walks ahead of the queen. And so you have the monarchy and the queen, and protocol says no one can ever get in front of the queen. No one leaves the building until the President of the United States is escorted out. Everybody has to remain right there until first the President leaves uh, and then everyone else can leave. Uh, With rank comes power and position and protocol and so it is. At board meetings around corporate tables, uh, you have uh, positions around the table that identify the power holders. And so if you are sitting at certain seats, uh, then you are the ones that hold the power and hold all of the influence. But Jesus says the measure of greatness in the kingdom of God is not defined by rank or position or power or seats or protocol or location. He says greatness can be found in a cup. If you really want to be great, if you want to make it to the throne, if you want to have that influence in your life, can you drink of the cup that I am drinking from? Now now that cup, is used several times in the word of God. In, in John 18, 11, he says, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? And so, so it's used in the word of God. When he's in the garden of Gethsemane, remember he's on his face praying, he's sweating drops of blood, he, he knows his passion is coming, he says, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Drinking a cup meant to experience a matter fully. To drink it down or to absorb the whole matter to its fullest extent. And so Jesus, for him, for Jesus Christ, the cup would mean he would endure suffering and pain and agony and the cross. And the cup for him would be his bearing the sins of the entire world. In fact, even in scripture, cup often referred to the judgment of God upon evil. And so Jesus Christ would take upon himself the judgment of God for my evil, for your evil. He is the only one that could experience the wrath of God and drink the cup. Now, he says, shall you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Can you be baptized? The word baptized, we know what it means. It means to immerse. 
That's why when we baptize in water, we immerse somebody underneath the water. It means to dip or to immerse. It means to be overwhelmed by an experience, to be baptized. And in this case, it meant to be baptized into hardship or trouble or difficulty. And literally, he is calling the cross a baptism. So the cross is symbolized by the cup. The cross is symbolized by baptism. Are you able to endure that same kind of hardship that I'm about to go through? Now, now we have a cross up here today. The cross, this cross, has become the symbol of Christianity all around the world. And some people, they wear the cross around their neck. Some get a cross tattooed on their arm. Some talk about the cross. They think about the cross. But I don't think we fully understand the implications of the cross. We can talk about it in symbolic realms. Is it something far off for us? They don't understand the meaning. And and that's kind of the way that James and John are, because right away when they say, are you able to be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with, or or drink of the cup that I am able to drink, right away they pop back, yeah, we can do that. We're able. Sign us up. We can do it. I don't think they fully understood the ramifications and implications of the cross. And that's kind of the way we do. Yeah, Christ, I'll follow you. Yeah, I'll serve you. Yes, I want to give my life to you. But we don't understand the full implications of the cross. What it means to share in his sufferings and identify with Christ Jesus. We're able. You know, they knew they loved Jesus Christ. And so they would want to share in his blessings. They wanted to share in his rule and reign. I read a quotation, love makes heroes out of cowards. So some people who would otherwise be cowardice because of love will jump in and take the bullet or or protect their kids or jump into the fire or jump into the river or whatever it takes to protect their children because they love them so very much. And so there's a quotation, love makes heroes out of cowards. And one day, James and John, because they do love the Lord Jesus Christ, would redeem their pledge because they would suffer and one would die A martyr's death and the other would die a long, grueling death on the Isle of Patmos. But only Jesus can drink the cup. You see, if this cup symbolizes all the wrath of God, only Jesus Christ, only upon him was all the wrath of God poured out. Now when he says, you will drink of that cup, what is he saying? Yes, they would take a taste of the cup. Yes, they might experience the cup to some measure, but they would never fully understand the full cup as Jesus Christ would because he is the only one that is able to take my place. He is the only one upon whom the wrath of God is fully meted or fully met. Now, how do we taste of the cup? We taste of the cup when we serve and sacrifice my rights, my will, my way, and follow Jesus Christ. We drink of the cup when we humble ourselves and serve everyone else around us. Not fully as Christ did, but I still can taste and partake of that cup. Jesus says, yes, you are going to suffer. He goes on to say, the places of honor, the right hand, the left hand, are not mine to give. You see, when you're really serving Jesus Christ like you should, you are not worried about who gets the honor. You really don't care about who gets the recognition, who gets the honor, whether you get a pat on the back, whether anybody really comes up in this age and says, well done. 
Because it's all about serving other people. It's all about giving yourself away for someone else. In fact, there's a quotation. It's amazing what God's people can do and can accomplish when they really don't care who gets the glory. Isn't that true? It's amazing what can be accomplished when we don't care who gets the glory. So he talks about the cup. He talks about the baptism. And though that's symbolic of his sacrifice, and the only way to get to glory is through sacrifice. Number two, service is the path to glory. It says that in verse number 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Now, when I read earlier in the passage when Jesus Christ talked about his death and his resurrection, this is the third time and last time in Mark's gospel he prophesied his death. But every time he would talk about his death, it would set off a negative reaction among the disciples. On one occasion, Peter rebuked him. On another occasion, John said, hey, there's a guy casting out demons. He's not with us. He's not a part of our team. Uh, Do something about that guy. And so every time, and this last time he talks about his death, James and John are all of a sudden uh, have an ambition for positions of authority. So every time he taught or spoke on his death, he met a negative reaction from the disciples. They were very slow to get it. In one occasion, he sets a child in the midst of them and says, if you want to really be great in my kingdom, you've got to be like one of these children. This time, he steps it up a notch, and he says, if you really want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to serve like me. It's not just about being like a child. It's about being like Jesus. And what did Jesus Christ come to do? He came to serve, not to be served. And to give his life a ransom for many. If we want to be next to Christ in his glory, if we want to share and rule and reign with him, it's only going to come as we begin to serve other people. That's what it's all about. That's what the kingdom life is all about. Word leaks out that James and John are conspiring for the top positions in this new kingdom authority. And uh, Peter's cut out of the mix. And now the disciples are upset. The Bible says the disciples get very angry. They get upset and they're mad. And what you have is now a power struggle occurring among the disciples uh, that threatens to undo all that Jesus Christ had been teaching them for the last three years. It's all about to unravel right there on the spot. Everything he taught them, everything he poured into them is about to be undone through this power struggle. And so the Bible says he pulls the 12 together and he gives the Gentile standard of power. And he says, this is the way the Gentiles have greatness. And, And he touches on a nerve when he makes this statement. He says, those who are in authority over you will rule over you like the Gentiles do. Now listen, these guys knew exactly what he was talking about because they're under Roman domination. And Roman domination wanted to put all the Jewish nation underneath their thumb. And he says, you know how the Gentiles act. You know how they handle power. You know how they handle greatness. Uh, They try to lord it over you uh, and and be on top of you. And so right away it begins to sink into their thick heads. Hey, we don't like that. We don't like the way we're treated by the Roman government. You see, in this world system, the more important they are, the more people serve you. In other words, if you're important, if you're somebody, your greatness is measured by how many people are serving you. 
waiting on you, taking care of you. The world system is based on pomp and authority and grandeur and splendor and whoever gets the chief seats and all the appointments. Now, we just had election week last week. You saw the commercials ad nauseum until the election finally got over with and finally those dumb commercials end and this one attacking this one and this one getting this part of authority and this one wanting this authority and this is going to be the new speaker and this is going to be this person and that person and it's all about order, it's all about rank, it's all about power, it's all about authority, it's all about appointments and what it all amounts to is in this world, listen to me, the higher you are, the more you can look down on people. Right? If you are lifted up, if you're on a throne, the higher you are, the more people serve you, the more you can look down on them. But in verse 43, he says, but it shall not be so among you. Don't let it happen in my church. It's not the way God's people do business. In verse 43 and 44, let me read those to you. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you shall be slave of all. The world's value system says the higher up you go, the more you are served. God's value system says the higher up you get, the more you serve. The more you serve others. You see, power as a standard of greatness is very corrupting. If we make power, authority, our standard of greatness, it corrupts. Now, this, this is the reason power corrupts. Follow me here on this. The reason power corrupts is we fail to realize that power is a limited commodity. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Power is a limited commodity because there is only so much power to go around. In order to have power, you've got to have people underneath you to build up your power base. And so power is very corrupting in its nature because there are only a few that can have it. It is a very limited commodity. So those who are in power are all the time trying to protect their position or protect their power or protect their authority. Those who are out of power always want more. So if power becomes a standard of greatness in any church, ambition begins to rule in that church, and jealousy rules and reigns uh, because we are always wanting more of it, and it leads to all kinds of division. Power, by its nature, corrupts. Jesus comes along, and he totally upsets all the standards of the world. He totally flips everything upside down it's he said it shall not be so among you he rejects rank and power and establishes servanthood as the standard of greatness he said if you really want to influence learn to serve there's no greater model of servanthood than christ giving his life on the cross but of all the roman generals all the roman rulers all the Caesars, all the kings, all those presidents of every age, uh, all those leaders of every generation, no one has had more influence than Jesus Christ in this world. Why did he have so much influence? Because he was a servant. Now, if we want to have influence at Faith Assembly of God, it's only going to be as we serve our community. 
It's not because we hit our chest and say, look, we got a big church and we got wonderful buildings and we got this and that going on. That doesn't cut it. If we want real influence in the community, we go out and begin to wash feet and we take care of people and we love on people and we serve them and we minister to them and that's how faith assembly of God will be a great church. Wellington Boone, I heard him do a teaching one day, great teacher, and teaches a lot on marriage, and, and he was talking to a bunch of men who were there. And uh, men have this idea in God's word of rank. And so we really latch on to the man as the head of the house. And so because the man is the head of the house, we can beat our hairy chest and say, I'm in charge. Jesus says, if you really want to be great, you really want influence, serve your wife. If you really think you're the greatest in your house, you need to outserve your wife. That hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, all oh, that hurt so bad. That liked to kill me. But I'll never forget that. If you want to be great in your house, if you talk about who you are and how great you really are, outserve your wife. Outserve your spouse. Because he said, that's how you're great in my kingdom. By rank, a servant is the absolute lowest. And he uses the word slave, which even is a harsher word. A slave is the very lowest. In power, a servant has absolutely none whatsoever. But in God's kingdom, servanthood becomes a standard of greatness. And he gives himself as the example. And he jumps down to verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Give his life a ransom for many. Influence comes through service in this world, and Jesus Christ is that great example. Church, we need to be about serving. We had a great time last year about the same time of the year. We celebrated 40 days of community, and we went out, and we encouraged everybody to serve their neighborhood or, or, or serve the children or, or serve at Convoy of Hope or ser- serve and rebuild a house or rebuild somebody, put, put a new roof on. And we had projects at uh, the boys' home and boys' ranch and going on all over the place. We did all kinds of things. We, we fed the entire prison population at Lieber Correctional Institute. We did a lot of really cool stuff last year. But what I don't want to happen is when the 40 days is over, we quit serving. And we had so much positive feedback. It wasn't this a great thing for our church to do. And, 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 and we really engaged in this because we, we felt like we were being like Jesus for those 40 days. It wasn't supposed to stop there. We're to be like Jesus all the time. We're always to be serving, ministering, loving, caring, reaching out, touching those around us, serving. Serve your families. Serve your church. Serve your community. Serving one another in the body of Christ. It said, for even the Son of Man did not come to serve. We we're not going to get to it in, in Mark because Mark doesn't talk about it. John does. But a few days later, Jesus Christ is going to take his disciples and he's going to have that last meal with them. 
And when he gets ready to eat the meal, the Bible says he takes the towel off of his waist and, and he bends down and he begins to wash their feet one by one. He is the master of all the whole disciples. He is their teacher. He is the leader. But once again, he's teaching this lesson over and over again. If you want to be great, learn to serve. Serve one another. Serve each other in the body of Christ. Take up the towel and serve those who are around you. The way he showed it is by giving his life a ransom for many. The word ransom is a colorful word. It's a great word. It means the release by payment of a price. And so if I gave you a payment price it is a very common word in the world of slavery and so if there and this is a slave owning population and in fact there were probably more slaves in the roman empire than there were roman citizens and slavery was very populated it was a part of their culture and so what you could do though is you could go and buy a slave out of his slavery and if you paid enough money if you paid the purchase price then that slave who had been in bondage uh, could be set free he could be released Now listen, we all stand before God as slaves and God by the payment of his price. What was the payment? What did he pay for us? His own blood. His own life was given that I might be set free. That's what this ransom thought and concept is all about. He releases us from the slavery to sin. Sin is our taskmaster. Sin is what keeps us in bondage. Uh, Sin is what has that death sentence over our life. Uh, But he paid the price for my sins. uh, And he set me free out of my bondage uh, and out of my slavery. Church, can you say amen? Hallelujah. Sin will make a slave out of you. It starts by playing with sin just a little bit, but if you are not careful, it becomes that boa constrictor that slowly wraps itself around you and it begins to squeeze the life out of you and it will choke you and it will kill you and it makes a slave out of you and before you know it, it has you in its grip. You are in the slave market of sin. You are under the cruelty and misery of sin. And it takes its toll on you. But one day, Jesus Christ comes into the slave market. And he says, I've paid the price. Here it is. It's my own blood. And I want to set you free and you free and you free. And he releases that control of sin in my life. The penalty of sin in my life. Because he paid the price. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter Chapter 1, look at verse number 18. Oh, it says it so clearly here. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. He didn't pay money, cash. That stuff is so temporary. From your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Listen, you are that valuable to God. God loves you that much, that much. Pay that ransom price, his own life. Listen, if you're ever going to find a place, stay with me. At God's right hand, God's left hand. If you are going to rule and reign in his kingdom with the Lord Jesus Christ, then we must take his place in imitating his life of service and humility. Of sacrifice and humility. We've got to serve 
like Jesus Christ. And he says in the word, if we endure with him, we shall also reign with him. Listen, Jesus Christ has paid the price for your redemption. And the Bible says if you believe on him, if you'll turn from your sins and invite him to come into your heart and life, you can be set free from that slavery and be one of the ransom redeemed of the Lord. Paid the price. You've got to receive that payment he made for you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Listen. Jesus Christ gave his life to set you free. That, my friends, is the essence of the gospel. He drank the cup of God's wrath so I wouldn't have to. Yes, when I serve others, when I humble myself, I can take sips out of that cup and I can in some way identify with his service. But I'll never fully drink it. Only one could do that, and that was Jesus Christ. And he drank the cup for you. He gave his life for you. And if you'll just say, God, I need you in my life. I need you to forgive me, cleanse me, come inside. He'll do it. He'll make you one of his children. And in that way, you begin to identify with Christ's cross. You also identify with his resurrection because from here on out, you will walk in brand new newness of life as a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.